Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of the Gluten-Free Voice. I'm your host, Jules Shepard, and I'm really excited today to talk about all things Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite times of year, the biggest food-centered holiday of the year, of course. And I'm even more excited because I'm joined today by a good friend of mine named Colette Martin. Some of you might have already heard of her. You might have one of her amazingly helpful books. Her first one was Learning to Bake Allergen-Free, a crash course for busy parents on baking without wheat, gluten, dairy, eggs, soy, or nuts, which I know a lot of you um, would really, really enjoy and find a lot of interesting information in there that would be applicable for any time of year, not just Thanksgiving. And Colette also has another book out um, late last year called The Allergy-Free Pantry, Make Your Own Staples, Snacks, and More Without Wheat, Gluten, Dairy, Eggs, Soy, or Nuts. So super helpful resources and Super excited to have Colette join me on the show today so we can answer some of your questions about Thanksgiving, which is officially one week away. So thanks for joining me, Colette. I really am happy to have you on the show again. Thanks for inviting me. I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite times of year, especially, and I think it's especially hard because it's so focused on food. So people with food restrictions are always looking for solutions. Yes, and that's what we relish is the opportunity to find those solutions, share those solutions, and help people all come back to the table together instead of eating different foods. That's the worst, and I and I hate that for people who I talk to and they're still in that situation where they, you know, make one this for them and one that for someone else, and it's it's not efficient. But it's also, it also takes an emotional strain, you know, to to really get get over that, um, and it takes a toll on its fa- on the family really, especially if the person who's eating something different is a child. So I know you feel as yep. passionately as I do about that. Yes, I do. Yeah. It, well, my goal you is and I, always to my goal is always to make food that everybody at the table can eat. <laughs> yeah, and, and you and I had the lucky experience last weekend of being at Food Allergy Bloggers Conference again, where we all, despite the, you know, allergy or the background or the dietary restrictions, we all ate at the same, you know, table and shared the same buffet of of wonderful foods prepared there, which was just a testament to the fact that it can be done. And like your book says, without wheat, gluten, dairy, eggs, soy, or nuts, it can be done. And and I hear from a lot of people who say, but it's not just gluten, it's something else. And that's, it's the, it's like the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, okay, fine, I've got the gluten down, but now I can't have eggs or, you know, my son can't have nuts or, you know, whatever it is. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Like how how do you all eat the same thing at the at the table, especially on a food holiday like Thanksgiving? So I want to dive right in. I've gotten several questions from people, and I want to make sure we answer them. But Colette, I know you're very active in social media as well. And have people reached out to you with a, a theme lately? Have people been concerned about one thing in particular? Is there something that seems to be an overarching you know fear factor for your readers that you'd like to make sure to you know, put them at ease and give them a couple of your favorite tips? Well, I think that um, I probably get more questions about food safety and contamination than anything else. 
And and I think that is something we should talk about for Thanksgiving, especially if you're cooking, if you're not, if your kitchen is not always um, free of the offending foods, whatever the list should happen to be. Um, and so I think people should be aware that if they are cooking or whether, you know, if you're bringing a dish and you're trying to make it allergen-free, um, you need to make sure that the tools you're using, the dishes you're using are all um, completely clean um, and not contaminated with other foods. And I think when we're thinking about Thanksgiving, um, probably probably one of the toughest things I think is stuffing, you know, because we're all used yeah. to that breaded yep. stuffing. Um, and, you know, for years that's what we had, right? Um, and But as soon as you, even if, even if you say, well, you know, the person who's gluten-free and dairy-free can skip the stuffing, well, not if you put it in the turkey. <laughs> you know, so as soon as you put that stuffing yeah. in the turkey, the entire turkey is contaminated or anything else that you put in the pan with the turkey, um, you know, is going to take on um, those foods. So... I think that's probably one of the biggest things people t- need to think about as they think about Thanksgiving um, is to, you know, to make sure they keep things separate. Um, if you're really bent on making that breaded stuffing, do it in a completely separate pan and a completely separate dish and keep it away from the end of the table where people don't right. want it. Um, right. But right. I actually, I love making a meat stuffing. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually something that was passed down in my family from French Canadian heritage, and my grandmother used to make this um, stuffing with um, beef and pork, and it was really easy to adapt this to be completely gluten free and dairy free um, by substituting in like tapioca starch or cornstarch instead of the flour. Um, and substituting in um, a vegan shortening instead of the butter, and it's really, really awesome. Yeah, I love to do that. What do you do for stuffing? Well, I I, I go back and forth between preferring gluten-free bread stuffing and gluten-free cornbread stuffing. I I love cornbread Ooh. so much that I tend to really, you know, sort of gravitate towards cornbread stuffing. And, of course, we don't do any meat in our house, so I wouldn't do the meat stuffing. But the right. way you describe it sounded really good. Um, right. We, cornbread just, stuffing sounds really good, too. I know. Yeah. And, and I'm from the South, and we put a little sugar in our cornbread. And I tell you, it's, it is a really sublime place. When you, you get that cornbread stuffing, you have the savory, but you have a little bit of the sweet. And I actually add cranberries and nuts to my, my stuffing as well, and I, I really love it. But I was teaching at Williams Sonoma two weeks ago in New York City, and I was doing stuffing. And I had grabbed three or four bags of different cubed breads that I had made over the course of the last several months. And whenever I bake a loaf of homemade bread, if we don't finish it in the first, like, four days or whatever, I'll just cube it knowing that I'll save it for stuffing or I'll make it for croutons or I'll grind it up for breadcrumbs. So I had several of these bags. And the funny thing was, I don't remember doing this, but I must have cubed up a loaf of zucchini bread as well, and I brought like these three bags of of, stu- of you know cubes of bread with me to teach the stuffing, and I dumped it in. I said that oh my gosh, that's zucchini bread in there with my pumpernickel and my you know whole grain and my great. white bread. 
It was amazing, Colette. It was really, really good. So I, mean, I, I think, love that idea. Isn't that neat? Like, I'm mean, happy accident, but um, you know, it was really interesting because it had so many flavors going on, and and I guess. I would impress upon people, there's no way to do stuffing wrong. You know, you use any gluten-free bread you want or a mixture like I did, and clearly you could also use zucchini bread um, or, you know, and throw in whatever you want. I mean, I do carrots and onions and celery and, and cranberries and all those things, and then we use a, a regular veggie broth, and it is just a thing to behold. I mean, so much flavor, and it's just so delicious. So um, I, I think the stuffing yeah. might seem daunting to people, but it's it's really an opportunity to get creative. Yeah, and another option for stuffing, too, is to do a rice stuffing. Um, mm, you can do okay. a rice. You can throw some nuts, um, dried fruits in there, cranberries, like rice and cranberry mm-hmm. or rice and apple makes a really, really good stuffing, too. I bet. Maybe even, you know, toasted quinoa, throw that in there a little bit, or some toasted millet, because then you'd have a little bit of crunch. Or buckwheat. That would be kind of fun. Yeah, any or of buckwheat. those would yeah. work. We could do a whole yeah. radio show on stuffing. <laughs> We could. We could talk about stuffing all day. Yeah, well, I guess... I hope everybody's you know, getting and, and hungry. Me, I know, I know. But for for listeners out there who, who maybe are thinking, but I haven't been making bread and I don't have the cube stuffing, you know, ready to go in the freezer. It's okay because, you know what, those frozen loaves of gluten-free bread that are in the store that are already dry are perfect for making stuffing because yeah, they're not I so agree. great for sandwiches. Um, but yeah, they actually yeah. are really good for stuff because they're already dry. And what you want yeah, is whatever bread that's going to absorb bread, the broth. Yeah, any safe bread that you can find can pretty much be transformed into a stuffing. Right, right, yeah. right. Good call. All right, so stuffing. we got stuffing covered. Okay, so if you are setting your table, what kind of um, what kind of fresh bread would you be looking for on your table this year? Well, I almost always do cranberry bread for Thanksgiving. Um, oh, that's beautiful. You know, cranberries are cranberries are. Um, I love cranberries, so you know you got to do the cranberry sauce. But um, I like to do the cranberry bread. And one of the nice things about cranberry bread is you can make it ahead of time and freeze it. Um, yeah. You know, it's not a yeast bread, so it's a quick bread, so it's a little bit easier if anybody's intimidated about making their own yeast bread. Um, and, you know, you can freeze it ahead of time, you can take it out, thaw it, and then just, you know, heat it up in the oven. Like after you pull your turkey out, if you're doing turkey, you just um, throw the rolls or bread. I, I actually sometimes like to do it in like mini muffin tins. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way it's like you don't have to worry about slicing it, and it's really easy for people to just take them as they pass around the table. But then also if you have any leftovers, <laughs> you can just yeah. freeze them up um, right. or, you know, have them for breakfast the next morning or whatever. Oh, that's a good What idea. do you like to do for bread? Well, um, I I am a huge fan of like really soft, fresh bread. And so I always want to add, I usually do breadsticks or dinner rolls on on the table just because I just think, you know, you can, it it goes with all the flavors so well, and you can use it to sort of soak up the cranberry sauce, and I just love doing that. So I'll probably make... That's true. I'll probably make some breadsticks or dinner rolls, just some soft ones, you know, just to have fresh. But I love the idea of the cranberry bread. I've served pumpkin bread as kind of an appetizer before. And this year I was actually thinking 
I've been experimenting with a cranberry chutney recipe that I've made, and Ooh, I make nice. a homemade baguette, and I, and I slice it and toast it like I'm going to do bruschetta, but I put cranberry chutney on top, and I think I might serve that as an appetizer. Oh, that sounds so, really good. Yeah, and was, I think we really should good. point out for your listeners that the GF Jewels flour makes really, really great bread. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it makes it easy. Absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoy it, too. It's um, It makes my life a lot easier because I can just grab one flour and go and um, use it in making baguettes or, or dinner rolls or um, cranberry bread or, you know, or roux or stuffing or anything. So it does make life a lot easier. I'm so glad you enjoy it as well. Um, it, and you mentioned something earlier about freezing the cranberry bread ahead of time. And I did get a reader question asking about yeast breads, how far in advance can you make a yeast bread? I mean, should you freeze it or should you, um, you know, let it rise for, you know, a day and then put it in the oven? What What's your favorite way of doing sort of a make-ahead yeast bread or, you know, a roll for something like Thanksgiving? Yeah, I would probably make them the day before. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't freeze yeast bread. Um, but what I would do is, you know, making them as rolls um, gives you a little bit more flexibility. Um, mm-hmm. So I like the roll idea. Um, but I would not freeze them or refrigerate them after making them. Just, you know, keep them in an airtight container and then warm them up just before serving. That would be my take um, in terms of yeast bread. You you can freeze yeast bread, you know, if somebody's already got some made in the freezer, certainly pull them out and warm them up. But warming them up is key. <laughs> yeah. Think. Yeah, and not microwaving them, but no, you know, no, no, gently definitely. warming them in an, in an oven. Never microwave. <laughs> you can avoid yeah, it. And, and yeah, and I always tell people never refrigerate either. I think, you know, even, uh, you know, if you took a gluten, a loaf of gluten bread and put it in the refrigerator, it's just going to dry it out. So it's the same with gluten-free. If if you can't serve it fresh, then definitely freeze it. Don't put it in the refrigerator. But, yes, warm it up gently in the oven without, you know, using your microwave. It's just going to turn it into rubber that then turns into a brick. <laughs> so don't do that. Right. But, or um, toaster ovens are actually really good for uh-huh. that, too, if your oven is consumed with other things. Um, right. You know, most toaster ovens have, like, a reheat cycle on them, which works really well with, with these foods. Yeah, good point. Well, speaking of you know make-ahead stuff, what else would you recommend people do to sort of get a jump on Thanksgiving? What would you make a day or two early and serve on Thanksgiving? What things keep very well? Well, I if I'm making pies, I would prepare my pie crusts ahead of time. Um, so I would prepare the dough and refrigerate that, but probably not roll them out. Depending on how much time I have, I would not roll them out and actually bake the pie until mm-hmm. the day of. Um, there's no question that with a gluten-free crust, especially if you filled it with something like an apple pie filling, um, they do have a tendency to get soggy over time. So the closer you can make it to when you're serving it, um, the better it will be. Um, in terms of make-ahead, I um, so I would definitely make any breads um, or you know start to prepare desserts the day before. Cranberry sauce for sure. Um, I would make that ahead of time, and usually you serve that chilled anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. Any salad dressings or things like that that you're going to be using can easily be prepared ahead of time. Um, 
One of the things I like to do for vegetables, um, I don't know about you, but we always had some sort of creamed vegetable on the table. So it was either creamed Mm -hmm. onions or creamed broccoli or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I do a a dairy-free version of creamed vegetables by using creamed cauliflower. Um, So what you do is you steam the cauliflower and then puree it in your blender with a little bit of oil, salt, and a little bit of olive oil and salt, and it just makes like this this cream sauce. And then you can fold in whatever vegetables you want, um, and that's something you can stick in the refrigerator the day before and then heat it up the day of. That works really well. What that's do you do? Nice. That's nice. That's a good tip. Um, well, I'm trying to write down your recipe for steamed cauliflower puree. <laughs> I, oh, I it's that. so I easy. I steamed so cauliflower it's, it's, with them. Well, I make mashed potatoes like that. Yeah. And you just add a little bit of salt and oil. You can add yeah, you can add some non-dairy milk in there too if you'd like, um, but you don't really need it um, because just steam them up like really soft. Um, so that when you stick them in the blender, they'll just puree very easily. Right, right. And I, like I said, I've done that for mashed potatoes, but I haven't made a cream sauce with that, and I'm really intrigued. I what what do I make ahead? I I actually find that pumpkin pie tastes better if you make it a day ahead. And I haven't had oh. a problem with my pie crust in a pumpkin pie being soggy or anything the next day. It's been fine. In fact, the when I did the William Cinema class a couple weeks ago, I had made a pumpkin pie the day before and brought it and served it there. And then the pie I made in class we took home with us. My kids were very excited because they love pumpkin pie. And we ate that pie for three days afterwards. And it was never soggy or anything. It was amazingly delicious. So yeah, that I don't worry sense. about the and you would You would keep that one in the refrigerator? Well, yes. you don't have to because I make it, um, you know, dairy free as well. But oh, right. it, either way, um, you could keep it in the fridge or not. And um, and I find the spices are they just they intensify after a day or two. And so I really like pumpkin pie made the day before. So that's one thing I would definitely do the day before. Um, casseroles like sweet potato casserole, I do mm-hmm. that the day before, and then I'll put my topping on it right before we're going to serve it, and I'll stick it back in the oven to warm it up, and then have the topping sort of, you know, infuse whatever you like. If you like marshmallows, I, I like to do a almost like a crumble with pecans and, and brown sugar and cinnamon and that kind of thing on top of my casserole. Um, anything crunchy like that, if you're going to do green bean casserole, for example, which your cream sauce would be amazing in, by the way, your cauliflower it would. sauce. It would. I'm really getting excited about that now. But um, if I was going to do that and then I wanted to top it with some crunchy fried, you know, gluten-free fried onions, I would do the fried onions right before I served it. But the but the casserole itself would probably be fine making it a day ahead. Um, yeah, anything about anything I agree. else? Cranberry sauce, obviously, yes. Um, yes, cranberry sauce. Um, definitely. Let's see. Just looking at my, I'm trying to think about what I'm making next week, and um, I think we actually covered most of it. Um, the tur- turkey, if you're doing it, obviously can't be done until the day of, and you can't right. stuff them ahead of time. <laughs> no, and I and I can't emphasize enough your point at the very beginning about stuffing. I, and whenever I say this to people, they are always surprised. It it is it is a fact 
that if you put gluten stuffing inside the turkey, that the turkey then becomes contaminated with gluten. And if you have a family member who, like if you're not making the turkey or you're going to someone else's house, this can become very difficult because some people are very attached to their family stuffing recipe and they want it inside the turkey. So, you know, I, I don't know, I have several suggestions for people in that case, but what would you say to somebody who was having trouble getting that information across to the host or another family member who was hosting them at their house that it's not a gluten-free house? What are some things that you would suggest people do so that they don't have to go without, but that they're not risking themselves and their, their yeah, safety as well? Yeah, you know, if they can make the stuffing in a separate pan... <laughs> And I know it's yeah. not quite the same because you don't get all the turkey juices, but you can get, you know, you can pull off some of the turkey juices and drizzle them in. Um, but, I mean, I would really encourage people to try to do a gluten-free version of stuffing, breaded mm-hmm. or not, um, either way. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's it, but it is hard, and I know it's difficult. Uh, and a lot of people, even, even in their families, have difficulty yeah. convincing their relatives that it, you know it's okay to eat this way and know a little bit is not okay. Right. Yeah, right. I think I that causes a lot of stress for folks. So you know, worst case scenario, if you're not comfortable with what is going to be being made where you're going to eat, is bring your own. I mean, I yeah. hate to say it, but I think that um, if people need to stay safe, that's absolutely what they need to do. Or well, and you I, can get the small always, little birds, right? You can get I'm, I'm you can or just a turkey breast. Talking, <laughs> yeah, you can get just a turkey breast and do and do that. I was that. thinking like quail or something, like something small that you could just have as yours. But yeah, turkey breast would be fine. Yeah, I mean, my solution and... was to decide to always host Thanksgiving myself. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, and Which we're hosting course... Thanksgiving, but someone else is bringing the turkey in. And, ah. um, you know, it's not such a problem for me because I wouldn't be eating the turkey, so I would just have the stuffing on the side anyway. But for people mm-hmm. who would like to have the turkey and would like to have the stuffing, if you're having a hard time explaining it to people, um, you could share some articles about you know the the safety of of um, you know the stuffing issue that we're discussing about how to to keep safe. I have a crash course for gluten free Thanksgiving on my website, which is a brief version of sort of what we're talking about. But I also have an ebook on my website that's 60 pages and has 31 recipes for for um, for Thanksgiving. But it also has a huge section on what to do if you're hosting and not everyone is coming is gluten-free or what to do if you're going to someone else's house and right. they're not gluten-free. And and it, it is an issue, isn't it, Colette? I mean, there's a lot of people are struggling this time of year because you want to all be in the same place and eating the same food, but you don't want to jeopardize your health to do that. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. And I think, you know, I think the other thing that is true is that if you serve a gluten-free Stuffing and you don't even tell people that it's gluten free. Oh, they never know. It's it's just as good or better, and they'll yeah. love it. Yeah, right. It's not I, like I you, you don't have to emphasize that. You know, it doesn't have to be. Oh, you know, we're catering to Joe because. <laughs> right. You know, because right, right. then Joe feels bad and feels like you know he made it tough on the hostess or whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah, I and um, I, I think. 
if you if you are in a place, and a lot of people are, are eating with a big group, and if you are in a place like that, usually people do tend to bring lots of different dishes. It's not like one person right. prepares everything and everyone else just shows up. But um, if that is the case, there are several things that you could and should do for a communal table to help keep yourself safe and other but other people as well. One of them is to bring your own serving utensils and mark uh-huh. them somehow so that they stay with that pan because you certainly don't want your your spoon that's serving up gluten-free stuffing to then go in the next bowl over, which has the gluten stuffing. There is a company called Foodology Bakeware that I love promoting this time of year. Actually, they have um, these serving spoons that are stainless steel, and they have gluten-free stamp um, on the handle so that you can oh, tell nice. that that's a gluten-free dish. It's really neat. But then there are other companies out there that have the little flags that you know say gluten-free, and you can stick that in there, or just make one yourself. Get a toothpick and put a you know a, a post-it note, wrap it around the toothpick, and write GF on it, and make right. sure that your utensils stay with your pan, and if possible group the gluten-free things off to the side somewhere so that it's not tempting for people to, you know, dig yes. in with a different um, utensil. And then, as my husband is, uh, says to me every year, you go first <laughs> because it, invariably it's it's possible for someone to make a mistake or someone drips something or what have you. And if you go first, you're, you know, or whoever it is, your son, your daughter, whoever it is who has the food restriction goes first, then at least you're eating something that's not contaminated and you don't have to worry so much about that. Yeah, any and other if you have like small that? children, you fill their plate for them and do right. that first before all the other kids go through the line. Right. Yeah. No kidding. Um, yeah, the kid, the kid issue is always a big one because kids just grab and and you know take a bite and put it back and stuff like that. And, you know, you don't want to do that when it comes to food allergies, not at all. Yeah. Um, a, yeah. Another issue that people have this time of year, um, a lot of people are enjoying um, alcoholic beverages at um, yeah, Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously wine is gluten-free, which is great. Wine coolers are not because they are made with malted um, barley, which has gluten Correct. in it. What are some other gluten-free beverages that you like to um, to have at your table, Colette? Yeah, and just on that point about the, the malted beverages, um, I think it's important for people to know that even if those malted beverages – are gluten-free, meaning they have had the gluten removed to less than 20 parts per million, that those would not be safe if you have a wheat or barley or rye allergy. Um, So I think that people really need to be aware of that as well. Um, In terms of what we drink, well, we always have we always well wine is wine is my drink of choice so yeah so that's mm-hmm. kind of where we go first um i um i actually try to look for like a special wine at thanksgiving um there's a place on cape cod that actually does like a cranberry chardonnay which is really awesome oh yeah um yeah you would like it um i bet i would but also just <laughs> maybe you know, I may have the to standard seltzer water um mm-hmm. You know, I think um, we do, we go kind of simple on that. Uh, what about you? Well, wine, yeah, definitely wine. Um, but I think, you know, there are lots of folks who really enjoy having a good, you know, beer. Um, and it, maybe it's before dinner or, you know, it could be something else um, around that time. And I'd like to point out exactly what you just said about the gluten-free 
um, beers and the gluten-reduced beers, those beers and, and beverages, if you have an allergy, as Colette said, that um, you know you definitely have to avoid them, even if they say gluten-reduced. But the other thing is there's really no scientific no scientifically accepted method of testing the gluten-reduced beers yet to be entirely certain that they meet the standards of less than 20 parts per million gluten, which is why they're not currently labeled gluten-free. That's all in flux right now, and it's changing, but I would just bring that to your attention because if you're looking to buy some alcoholic beverages for celiacs who are coming to your house or you're looking for a new one for yourself – just be aware of that, that, that the jury is kind of still out on whether those are totally safe for people with celiac disease. There are some great options, though, that are uh, you know totally gluten-free beers that are made with gluten-free grains like sorghum and rice and millet. Um, and one of the ones that I actually I had some at Fablicon. I don't know if you got one or not, Colette. But, um, I didn't try. Kelly, the <laughs> Raising Jack with Celiac, Kelly um, had some and she took one home to her husband, which is the Coors Peak. And is a 100%. You know, it's a gluten-free beer, and it. Kelly said it tastes just like Coors. So if you're looking for something like that, that um, is a new and different kind of of beer, those are available in the Seattle and and um, Denver, I think, areas. Um, or no, Port, no, it's Portland, Portland and Seattle is where those are right now. But you can look for something yeah, new like and that, and that would be kind of a conversation piece. I think, especially with beer. Um, people tend to be very fussy about about their yeah. brands. And so I also think if you're having guests who are gluten-free and they want beer, um, you know, either ask them what, you know, their favorites are or, you know, suggest that they bring some along because I think um, I think that's a fair thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, and you're right. It is very unique to your own taste. And there's so many choices out now that it's just so nice to have options. But we're out of time, and everybody else who's listening right now, you've got a week and counting till Thanksgiving. So get on it. Practice those pies. Practice the bread that you're making. Plan out your menu. Find some great recipes online. And check out Colette on her website, or you can go to my website as well and look for more recipes. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, Colette. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. All right, and safe traveling, too. You, too. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.